I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. I'm Rebecca. And today is going to be a very serious topic. Um, Our country has just had so much heartbreak recently, Rebecca, don't you think? Yes, yes, definitely. Big things. We're going to be talking specifically about, because I I am assuming that basically all the parents out there uh, if they have kids, uh, you know, at least old enough to, to hear stuff in their school or hear stuff on the radio, that they're going to be looking at things like the mass shooting that happened in Las Vegas. And they're going to be asking, why did this happen? How did God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, have you have either of your girls asked that, Rebecca? No, um, not directly related to the Las Vegas shooting, but... Um my youngest did ask a question this past Sunday, but it's definitely related, but not directly related to the Las kind of, Vegas shooting. Yeah, tangentially related. I think she was she was grappling with evil, and I think she, her yes. her question went off in a different direction, just about the idea of why God would create basically people who would do such things. But um, yeah. which is all kind of part of what is called the problem of evil. So I don't know the problem of evil. I'm I'm sure it goes back further than Epicurus. But Epicurus was one of the ones who kind of a lot of people quote. Um, yes. the way he says it, but the, the way he says it is, of course, very ancient sounding. So I'm actually going to use the one that Natasha Crane has in her most recent book. It is not quite out yet, but it's talking with your kids about God, 30 conversations every Christian parent must have. So I highly recommend that. That's <laughs> going to be um, out within the next couple of weeks. But um, so here's how she phrases it. If God is all good, he would eliminate evil. If God is all powerful, he could eliminate evil. Evil exists. Therefore, one, God doesn't exist. Two, he exists, but he is not all good. Or three, he exists, but he is not all powerful. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of taking what Epicurus had originally said and kind of boiling it down a little bit. Mm. So we're just going to talk about what we do when we have our kids coming and asking us this question, Mommy, why, why did God allow this to happen? Yeah. Um, and we need to talk about it from a, an emotional standpoint and from an emotional perspective because it, it, whenever you have anything that's basically current events right now, I don't care if we're talking about you know this mass shooting or the tsunami or not tsunamis, the hurricanes or racism or whatever it is, we're going to have to deal with human emotion and then we're going to have to deal with the ideas behind it. Well, actually with the hurricanes, that's not really ideas. That's just nature. But with, you know, evil and the shootings and racism and stuff like that, we have um, both emotions and we have ideas. And so they need to be both addressed, but they both need to be addressed appropriately. Right. Hmm. So So we have to identify, is this just like when my daughter was asking the question, it was very intellectual. It was not connected to anything that had happened. Mm-hmm. It was an emotional, but many times when children come to you, we have to address the emotional aspect first. They're yeah. grieving and that's a good thing. We all grieve evil because there's also a such thing as the problem of good. If there's a problem of evil, <laughs> the other side is a problem of good. We have this idea of good and evil and it's real, it's objective. Mm-hmm. And so we, and that's why it goes so deep into our being. And so we have to meet them where they are otherwise it sounds it's very cold and it's very sterile and very well and it doesn't do god a service because god is not like that he's not yeah yeah he didn't stand up from all you know heaven and just throw down philosophy he sent his son wrapped in flesh yeah. You know, to come and live and love. Well, he wasn't and be wrapped among. in in philosophy. He's wrapped in swaddling <laughs> clothes with with the farm animals, right? With That's the stable, right. yeah, with the chickens and the who knows donkeys. <laughs> and so, like when your daughter came and asked you, and you said it was kind of more of just an intellectual question, that's actually the best case scenario that you can hope for because when they're asking with just this pure intellectual curiosity, yeah. that is oh god, like that's that should be every parent's dream right there because you're not having to wade through all the emotions. Because um, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but 
we are endowed with something called the fight or flight instinct. Um, <laughs> and I know you and I have talked about this a lot. I but think the we fight- have talked about it though. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. We talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so the fight or flight instinct is basically the part of our brain that perceives us if we're in danger. Now, it, we don't have to actually be in danger. It just needs to perceive danger. And this doesn't have to be physical danger. It could be emotional danger. And so when that part of the brain lights up, it actually shuts down a different part of the brain, which is called the prefrontal, it's the amygdala, that's what turns on the fight or flight. And then it shuts down the prefrontal cortex, which happens to be where rational thinking takes place. So if you have, (laughs) I know, it's like, yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. But um, if you have someone who's highly, highly emotional, basically the part of them that's thinking rationally has kind of, you know, been shut down. And so it's either learning how to activate that part or just knowing that you're probably not going to have a rational conversation. So when your child comes to you, it's like when someone's not suffering is the best time to address suffering. It's when someone's going through suffering that is the worst time. Well, what did Job's friends do to him? You know, they they did come and initially sit with him, but then they started... they opened their mouth. (laughs) Yeah, then they started on the philosophy, and, and really they ended up, you know, doing a disservice to God and, and Job. Yeah. So first off, like if, uh, if your child's coming to you, just kind of assessing where they are. And, um, especially if they're coming about this most recent shooting, um, saying, mommy, why did, why did God allow this? Affirm their heart because what that's showing is that you have a child that's experiencing empathy. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And so just the idea of telling them how proud you are of them, that they care so much about other people and just affirming that that hurting heart, I think is so utterly important. It's like more than likely there's a very emotional component of them that's asking this question and you need to kind of acknowledge it and dignify it. Well, even Jesus, one of my favorite scenes from the, that we get recorded in the Gospels is when he's standing over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is right before he's about to go in to his final going in and being first hailed as the conquering, you know, a hero sort of thing, you know, <laughs> and then rejected. But he's yeah. looking at them before this and he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you in my arms like a chick. And you see that you see kind of a sadness. He is grieving yeah. at the evil yeah. And so if our Lord grieved at the evil, yeah. then we should too. That that's a very good natural response. We don't want robots that just mm-hmm. oh, you know, don't yeah. react to it. So Yeah. And so I think it's probably a good sign if if your child is asking these questions and they are grieving cuz I don't, I don't know, I think that shows a real sensitivity that you should be proud of. But I think it's important also to talk to them about how the shooting has made them feel because they might just need to process. Like kids don't really have the words sometimes to Mm. process through this. Yeah. And so just asking them questions, you know, how does that make you feel? Because it might bring up all sorts of other issues like, you know, oh, I don't feel safe. Is this going to happen to us? Or, you know, what about the people who weren't saved? Or you have no idea what kinds of questions are underneath that initial question. Yeah, yeah. I always ask them what's making you sad and what all, and make them teach them how to sort of analyze their own emotions because mm-hmm. that is one way that we can control our emotions is to step back and sort of analyze them and say okay where is all this coming from mm-hmm. and when we can do that then we can you know let that rational side kind of start kicking in more and that's yeah. a good that's a good thing mm-hmm. so yeah, the rational side kicking in, it makes me think of if you've ever seen first responders who are like, you know, at the scene of a car crash and there's someone on their back who's like kind of freaking out, they start asking them questions yeah. that makes the person have to think. And what that's kind of doing is taking them out of this this anxiety-ridden, you know, fight or flight, uh, what's, I don't know what to call it, just, you know, kind of freak out. And then it brings them back into, okay, I need to answer these really logical questions. And it kind of brings them back into it that rational that part. Prefrontal, prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what C.S. Lewis talks about this in Meditation and Tulshed, uh, uh, one of his essays. You can read it. It's kind of a tough one, but it helps you see it's called looking along something versus looking at it. And when you look at it, you're contemplating it. And you can step back and look at your emotions and analyze mm. them. And actually, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a gift because yeah. it helps us, like you said, to engage that logical thinking and to realize, mm-hmm. okay, so this one is not really rational. 
Mm-hmm. And this one is, so let's get to the heart of this. And yeah. then you're, then you can redirect your child and say, well, maybe they aren't, they're feeling like this might happen to them. Yeah. And we can talk about, you know, what are the chances this, this is going to happen and, and what would happen mm-hmm. if it did, you know, help them be able to think through that. And that way they can have, they can learn coping mechanisms for the emotions. Yeah. I think that a lot of our problems today is that we don't have that. We don't have coping mechanisms. Part of the reason why is because we aren't faced with this sort of thing a lot. People used to be faced with this sort of thing a lot. Not necessarily the kind of Vegas shooter and mass shooting, but death mm-hmm. and tragedy, accidents. Um, I mean, you think about before the advent of vaccines, how many people mm-hmm. just died of diphtheria and the flu. And, um, and people died in their homes right in front of them. It wasn't in some yes. faraway, sterile oh, environment. Yeah, most people died at home, actually. And they'd have the wake at home. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, people were lived in just a lot more pain. They didn't have yeah. Motrin and Tylenol. And if you had a toothache, you might just have to rip that sucker out. You couldn't go to the dentist. And they didn't have the kind of knowledge we have today about taking care of your teeth and such. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people just really lived with suffering so in a way they were forced to have to do this so they could cope better so we talked about this earlier i think that if our ancestors were to come back into our time they would actually Mm -hmm. kind of feel sorry for us despite all our relative wealth and health and happiness well i think they would see how i mean like I, i think about how rampant just depression and anxiety and um you know mental illness is mm-hmm. and i'm i think in a lot of ways we're miserable nowadays it's like life was hard back then but i don't know i think an external hardship is sometimes preferable to an internal hardship but yeah. most people can't see the internal hardship but yeah i think you're right i think they would pity us if they came back and really saw what that we were going through in fact i i, I hear of stuff like um christians over in china that are in the underground church and, you know, we always talk about, oh, we're sending missionaries there. And they're like, no, we're praying for you because they see mm-hmm. basically how uh, American Christianity is just being strangled with materialism. And yep. we and, are uh, a country of rich young rulers. <laughs> we are like the rich young ruler who turned his back on Jesus. Jesus mm-hmm. is offering you follow me. And we're like, nope, I want my wealth. Or, nope, yeah. I want my security and happiness. Soren, yeah. uh, my pastor just shared in our summer sermon on Sunday that Soren Kierkegaard once wrote that he wondered if his family's wealth was a hindrance to his growth and character. Interesting. And, and not that we want to wish, you know, it's not that we're saying, oh, well, we all need to just, you know, suffering is good. We want to be persecuted. No, it's that the, the tendency in the human nature is when we're given good gifts and great things, Um, we abuse them. Yeah. And yet I I do know, I just want to say like, I saw so many good examples of, and and my grandmother was one of them, someone who really knew how to steward her wealth well, Mm -hmm. um, that was just always so giving and she was not controlled by her possessions. And I constantly saw her giving away and how can I serve people? And and I know other people that are like that. So I just want to recognize that, that it's not necessarily wealth that corrupts but you know any everybody oh, can yes. be corrupted by anything it could, could be well some people are corrupted by their poverty it's or know, their knowledge oh, or yeah, their, their poverty or their knowledge. or their ignorance some or people are ignorance. proud of their ignorance yeah what you can we, really be proud of anything gosh we're we humans we corrupt everything we touch yeah. <laughs> seriously we turn everything into an idol yeah um, so anyway, the, so the question, uh, why does God allow mass shooting, something like that, it's just one of the many varieties of the classic problem of evil, which we described um, from Natasha's book before. Um, but we need to address when this question is coming at us, it's going to be coming at us from one of two different directions. One of them we can answer, one of them we cannot. And so if we can mm. get them confused, we could give someone a really bad answer. Um, asking why God allows evil in general is a very different question than asking why God allowed this evil. Yeah. So like we can, so I, I can, I can plug for Clay Jones's book. Why does it's actually called, why does God allow evil? And um, I've listened to him give these lectures at Biola and probably in my opinion, the best theodicy I've ever heard. So for, for those who don't know what theodicy is, theodicy is kind of a defense of God. Um, and it's, it's a justification of God in the sense of if there's evil, can, you know, is God justified for that theo God to see, I think it's, uh, I can't remember what the, the Latin root is for that, but it's something along the lines of, the defense or, yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so a theodicy is going to be involving 
can God, can a good God allow evil in the world? And the answer is absolutely yes. But when someone says, why did God allow my child to be miscarried or my mom to die from cancer or my um, sister to be in a car wreck or my friend to be uh, one of the, the Las Vegas shooting victims. It's like when you ask that question, all the answers in the world basically fall flat. Yeah. And what that person needs is love. And there is going to come a, a point when maybe you can start addressing the idea of can God allow evil and they'll be able to kind of digest it from a philosophical perspective. But while they're grieving, it's not that time. Yeah. And it'll, and, and the reality is, is that the pain will always be with them. And that's yeah. part of the reason why Jesus came. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have to redirect that to what Paul says about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Yeah. That it's just a little taste of sharing in his sufferings, that it's our cross to bear. And that's something that someone who has had a loss or a great injustice done, done to them has to do and um, at some point. Either that or they're just going to be bitter for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just kind of going into this question, I think there's kind of four sub questions where, I don't know, I think a lot of times kids kind of know how to phrase a general question, but they don't know how to really specify what's what's really going on in their heart yeah, and what is it. Yeah. And so I've decided that there's kind of four questions that these are what they're really asking. And so maybe this is through a process of questioning um, with the kid to find out what is it that is really concerning them. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are the four questions. Is God really all loving? Is he good? Mm -hmm. Uh, Second one would be, is God really all powerful? Like, could he have stopped this? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, then is God really all knowing? Maybe God didn't even know about it. You know, did, did he know this was going to happen? That can mm-hmm. be one of them. And then probably one of the hardest ones, I think, uh, as a parent to deal with is, am I safe? Yeah. <laughs> that's oh. the one that's... <laughs> that, that ties right into my daughter's question today. And Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about each of these just um, individually and how you would how you would answer those individual questions once you'd kind of determine what is it that they're actually asking. Yeah. So the first one, is God really all loving? Is God good? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this really goes back to the concept of free will, that mm-hmm. love requires free will. There is no such thing as love without free will. You can't yeah. force someone to love you. And I think one way that, yeah. oh, you're about to say something. Oh, no, that's you perfectly what you just said. The force, yeah. if you force someone to love you, it's not really love. Yeah, Mm -hmm. as my husband would say, if you force someone to love you, that's rape, basically. That's essentially. Um, But so in a kid's language, we're trying to talk about the difference between kind of like heart versus obedience, because they might say, well, you know, free will, why couldn't God just create people that would obey? Mm -hmm. Well, God wasn't looking for robots that would obey. He was looking for people that he could love and who would love him back. And so... To illustrate the idea of how you can get obedience without having a heart change, I remember having to do this as a, as a kid. And I, most most kids have to do it now. Have you ever, you know, gotten in a fight with your sibling and were told, "Say you're sorry." Mm-hmm. And oh yes. They have, <laughs> they have to tell each other, "I'm sorry." And you do not like, feel sorry. <laughs> you do not feel sorry. One single second. So you have been been obedient at that point, but it hasn't changed your heart at all. Right. So I think that can That's be a, a good, good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to show kids, like, this is how you can have obedience without a change of heart. And if God's really interested in the heart, then that requires free will. And can um, I say that. this ties in also, and this is something that we talked about with our daughter. I like to also think of free will as moral responsibility. Mm. And God commissioned us, um, and this is something that C.S. Lewis talks about, as sub-rulers here on this mm-hmm. earth. We have responsibility that we've been given, and that's like yeah. actually a great compliment and a great thing. And I think we were supposed to rule this world in a sub, in some way as a sub-rulers. And yeah. so we were given that responsibility, and so that requires skill, and that requires knowledge, and that requires training. Um, and we, I think, in the tree, with the knowledge of good and evil, we tried to bypass all that <laughs> and try to get the knowledge without all the work. Yeah. And we weren't ready. We weren't ready for it. And so yeah. um, so free will also involves moral responsibility in the sense that we were made for more and yeah. and we are promised more. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we are it's somewhere. I, I think it maybe it's in Hebrews or somewhere. It talks about we will judge angels one day, and mm-hmm. you know we're going to yeah. be rulers with Christ, and and so we will be like Him in some way, and we'll be with Him. So all of this implies that we'll have a lot more responsibility than we have now, and that yeah. takes training. That takes time. Yep. In fact, uh, you kept saying, "What is that? You know, our moral responsibility." That's chapter twenty-eight in uh, Natasha's new book. What is our responsibility? to other people is like one of the conversations to have, like based on our Christian beliefs, how Mm -hmm. does that make us responsible to others? Um, And just free will in general means that people can choose to disobey. So I think this goes back to the question that your daughter asked, which the exact question she asked was, was it, um, why would God create people if he knew they were going to sin? Yeah, that was part of her question. Actually, it was, there were two other kind of main questions, but that was a sub question on it. But yeah, that was really kind of the heart of her her yeah. biggest thing, her biggest question. So. Well, hey, that doesn't go away because John and I were speaking at an university conference this last weekend and had an open Q&A. And oh. you know, for the college students, college senior, that was her question. Well, I know. Well, I mean, I was like, wow, this that is a tough question, sweetie. I mean, I seriously have struggled with that myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was really thankful. She actually asked it to her Sunday school teacher. And he, well, actually, yeah. the two questions that she asked, and this uh, sec, the one, the sin and us came later with us, but was, um, why did God create Satan if he knew he was going to sin and mess up and fall? Yeah. And then why did God put the tree in the garden of good and evil if he knew we were going to sin? You know, why yeah. did he do that? And so, um, and her precious Sunday school teacher said, you know, I don't, I can't give you the best answer right now. So let me get back to you next week. Wow. And I know. And I was like, impressed. so I told Rachel, you know, that's a good thing that, cause mm-hmm. I said, that's a tough question you asked. And so mm-hmm. just affirmed her that, you know, this is not like we're going to give you some pat answer. No, this is yeah. a complicated, rich thing that, which is wonderful. Actually, when you think about it, that it's a question that we can sit and think about and grow in our understanding and knowledge of across our lives. So that yeah. shows you how rich and complex our faith is. Yeah. You know, but so her, her main, her question that came out of that is, you know, why did God create us if he knew we were going to sin? And yeah. basically we answered it in the sense of why did he create us? If he knew we were going to sin, we were going to hurt and we were going to hurt others. Yeah. Yeah. Why was he willing to risk that? And we connected mm-hmm. that to, well, we knew that too. And we had you, why yep. did we have mm-hmm. you? And it really hit me that having a child is basically your homage to existence. You're kind of paying your homage or, you know, to existence and saying that actually existence is good. And the love that I get to experience with my child is greater than all the possible pain and suffering they're going to have in this world. Yep. And cause we don't know, we yeah. do not, we can think that we have all the money, all the wealth, we have everything in place and we have no idea. And yep. yet we still do it. Yep. And that's kind of what I did, uh, what John and I did with the room full of college students. I said, okay, everybody, raise your hand if you really want to get married and have a family one day. And of course, every single one of their hands went up. And so uh, I said, okay, I, love it. I'm, I said, I'm not saying this is a hypothetical. I am saying this is an absolute. Every single one of you may have children that will absolutely reject you and break your heart. Okay, now raise your hand if you still think you might want to have a family. And they kind of all kind of giggled and everybody raised their hand again. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, so you're saying that, you know, that the, the possibility of having this, this, you know, child that you can love and that loves you back, even if you're not a hundred percent sure that they're you know, going to choose you or, you know, for a fact, I'm telling you now they will sin, they will rebel. They will, you know, probably go through with some horrible teenage phase and you're going to live through that. And it's like, no, <laughs> we've all been there. A, I know exactly. <laughs> we've all been, been the teenager knowing this, you're still going to choose to have children. And they, of course, said yes. And so it made me think about just uh, kind of like a hierarchy of goodness, of things that Mm. are good. So like you mentioned one of the ones, and that's one of the ones that Clay Jones emphasizes in his book, Why Does God Allow Evil? The idea of existence itself is a good thing. Yeah. And I think he even kind of phrased it, um, you know, some people think, oh, well, we should have nobody exist if if someone's going to go to hell and Clay just kind of said, well, why should I not exist? Because you choose to rebel. <laughs> like, yeah. That didn't seem fair. Also, the idea of um, free will being, I think God really places that as probably one of the highest goods. And we see that because that's like one of the things where he really could exert his dominance over us. But he, he 
He allowed the angels to have free will. He allowed us to have free will. And Mm -hmm. he's willing to basically go through the horrors of human history because he values free will so much. And people will... People love their own free will, but it's kind of other people's free will that they would like to be more curtailed. Yeah. Like, everybody would have loved the the Las Vegas shooter for his free will to be taken away. Yeah. But they don't want their free will to be taken yeah, away. I want my autonomy. Exactly. And actually, I want you to bow down to my autonomy anyway. So one way that I think that um, <clears throat> kind of giving the concept of the, within free will, there are lots of highs and there are lots of lows. That's just kind of the nature of free will. And so, it, you know, with kids, they, they haven't experienced all that much. And so it's maybe right. kind of hard for them to picture yeah. how high can this high be? How low can this low be? So I think a good question would, would be to ask them, what is one food that you love? One food that you hate? And one food that you think is boring. And so we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll just, give, give me yours, Rebecca. You know, something you love, something you hate, and something you think is boring. My problem is I like all food. <laughs> I, okay. love, I love chocolate. Okay, and, we'll say chocolate for the one you love. And I really hate, like, I don't know, like sushi eel or something. I don't know, something <laughs> weird. I like sushi, but not all of it. Okay, so and then what's something that you think is just boring, but you'll eat it? What is boring? I don't like potato chips. I really potato chips are just boring to me. So how's okay? That? They're boring. Okay, so but but you'll still eat them, right? Yeah, yeah. If I'm hungry. Okay, so we're gonna say that the chocolate is life's highs, the sushi is life's lows, and the potato chips is basically no high or low. Okay. Would you rather live in a world where you had the option to have chocolate, but you also sometimes had to have sushi? Or would you rather live in a world where all you had to eat was potato chips? Oh, definitely the first. Chocolate and sushi. (laughs) And that's the same thing for me. I think of like, you know. uh, I'd endure the the bad for the good. Yeah. If I like, you know, the opportunity to have pizza is worth having been forced to eat okra, even though I don't think I've ever actually eaten okra. I'm kind of scared. I don't know. It's hairy. I'm scared of it. But I would rather that than eating oatmeal every single day for every meal. Yeah. It's, and so this is the idea of, um, you know, with free will, you have the choice to do good, but people also have the choice to do bad. And you don't just suffer the consequences of your own good and bad. You suffer the consequences of somebody, somebody else's good and bad. Yeah. Because our world is so interconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so if you truly love that higher good, which would be uh, free will or chocolate or pizza, <laughs> if you love that higher good, then you have to accept the, the low lows, I guess, yeah. in order to have that. Um, so that, that would, that's like a really boiled down description of the free will theodicy. That one really could go a lot longer. And again, I recommend Clay, Clay Jones's book, Why Does God Allow Evil? He goes into that a lot more. Um, so the second question, when kids say, why did God allow this mass shooting? The first question they could really be asking is, you know, um, is God good? Is he loving? And we just showed how love entails having free will. Um, the second question they might kind of actually be asking is, is God really all powerful? Could he have stopped this if he had, if he had wanted to? And unfortunately the answer is absolutely yes, he mm-hmm. could. Cause I mean, he is all powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's kind of grappling with why did he choose not to, which kind of brings us back to the problem of evil of like, well, why didn't he? And so one of the, the things, and this is also kind of outlined in Clay's book, is the idea that we were not, like this world that we're in, it says we are foreigners. We are aliens and strangers to this world. Yeah. Well, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it was originally right. made to be where mm-hmm. we were. We It was our home. And yeah. now... It's on its way out. God's going to recreate it. So just this idea of, um, you know, we weren't created for this. We were created for something else. And like going back to the free will, God's desire is is to live with us for eternity, with us having free will and not using it to sin. Yeah. That was his, that was his best, you know, that's what he wanted in the beginning. And that's what he wants at the end. And so how do we get to this place where, we can have free will for eternity and not use it for evil. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say... Which is kind of inconceivable, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you think of it, but I think that, like, uh, as Clay argues in the book, we are being plunged into a lifelong learning lesson 
that sin is stupid and yeah. that all the things that, that sin brings out, things like the mass shootings that are going on. It's an experiential knowledge, too. It's yeah. not just a, an intellectual, yeah. which we know. We mm-hmm. know experience, the difference between experiential and intellectual knowledge is vast. Yeah. The, the impact that it makes on us, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with uh, my nephew about this a couple weeks ago because I was actually trying to address the problem of evil with him. He's he just turned 11, so I was like, it's time to start trying to get this. So I asked him, yeah. uh, Joey, what's what's something that really, really hurts that you would never do on purpose? And so he thought about it for a second, and then he pretended like he was slamming his hand with a hammer. I said, so you're, you're never going to do that on purpose. Why, why would you never do that on purpose? He's like, because it would hurt really bad. I was <laughs> like, exactly. It would hurt really bad. So if I left you on, you know, you know, desert island, but you were well provided for, would you ever purposefully, if you had a hammer there, would you ever purposefully hammer yourself with the hammer? And he's like, no, that's stupid. I said, okay, that's, that's a good answer. And so in that sense, all the sin that we're experiencing right now, whether that be even just the smaller sins or the big ones, the big evils, like the big mass shootings, we are learning that sin is stupid. And so one day we are going to be able to live for eternity. And just like, you know, Joey said, he would never smash his hand with a hammer. We are going to fully understand that we don't want to sin because it's painful. Mm-hmm. It, it produces pain. And so it's like, think about, um, pretend, you know, if you were to talk with your child, pretend that we're living in one place right now and there it's a world that has uh, bicycles with training wheels but mm-hmm. we know that one day we're going to be in a world without training wheels mm-hmm. how bad of a parent would they be if they only let their kid go around with training wheels and never learn how to ride a bike right right um basically us experiencing if, if god were to come in and just take away every single um, consequence for every one of our actions. Anytime someone tried to shoot a gun, it would just turn into water balloons. Or, you know, every time someone tried to, uh, to, to stab someone, it would just turn into putty and everybody laughed. And, you know, it's like there were no consequences for any actions. That would be like training wheels. And then you step into eternity. Now we have not learned the evils of sin because mm-hmm. we've been protected from all the consequences. However, when we see stuff like this, like the evils that we see, like the mass shootings, we are learning how horrific evil is so that one day we don't have, we don't need training wheels because we don't want to sin. We're we're able to ride that bike because we've learned from the consequences of this world. It kind of reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, Mm -hmm. um, 16, where Paul is talking about, um, you know, how they're persecuted and, and such and suffering a lot. Um, He said, so we do not lose heart, though the outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. day. So it kind of reminds me of you. This knowledge is Mm -hmm. coming, this this experiential knowledge of God. For this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are Mm -hmm. unseen. For things that are unseen are transient like our pain and our suffering, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And C.S. Lewis has an amazing sermon he gave. I recommend everyone read it. It's called The Weight of Glory. It is one of the best, my favorite things that he wrote, although I love everything, but this is just excellent. Yeah, he talks about in that um, sermon about how all the pain in this world, God is is so powerful. He is so omnipotent. Mm-hmm. And um, he can actually turn all the the evil that we experience in this world into a glory for us in the future, where yeah. it sort of works backwards. And and this sort of maybe, you know, what you're saying, we, we don't know for sure that this is why God is doing it, but this is certainly yeah. seems reasonable that this is mm-hmm. all working into this knowledge that's going to be adding to this glory that we're going to yeah. have with Christ and, and this ability to live in eternity and not sin. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. But. No, that totally makes sense. It's, I, I, I do think, and I've talked, um, actually, I've talked with Angelique about this before, of just the idea of, um, I think that this is almost like training on, in this world. And some of this, and, uh, and Melissa and Palou, I've talked with her about this as well, because both of them have had significant hardship. And poor Melissa, just with all her health yeah. stuff, um, yeah. that I'm saying, you know what, I think that this is, you know, God's way of like, training us for for ruling because he does say that you know we're going to have different levels of of ruling one day and this is like some people are getting 
really rough deal. Like you think about the um, the par- I can't remember if it was I think it was just the parable where uh, Lazarus, not Lazarus that rose from d- the dead, but Lazarus, the poor man, yeah, and yeah. The, who sat at the rich man's uh, gate, and he was saying how you know the rich man received his rewards there on earth, but Lazarus who received nothing was having great rewards in heaven for what he suffered there. So I think there is something to that. Of- and and I bet if we were to go and look at their lives, even on earth, we would see like what Soren, Gar- Soren Kierkegaard alluded to, a greater character in mm. the man at the gates, the poor yeah. man at the gates. So yeah. when you've met a child that has had cancer, or been through something really bad, mm. they, they are kind of like an old soul. They have a wisdom yeah. about them. Yeah. And not that we ask for suffering, and not yeah. that we wish for suffering, but yeah, it's going to come anyway. But if we do it right, it can really give to us in a way that 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 we just is undeniable when you've met someone who suffers well, you yeah. know it. Absolutely. It, I think it all, and and we have to remember, like what you said, we're meant to live with Christ and to worship. I, I, I mean, and to rule with Him as sub rulers and. Mm-hmm. I also think, um, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, um, he talks about no eye has seen, no ear has heard, Mm -hmm. no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Mm -hmm. And we have the first fruits here in Christ's resurrection, Mm -hmm. but there's more to come. Yeah. So we have to remember that. And so one of the things we we have to prepare our children, I guess this kind of comes toward what we're going to talk about at the end, but Christ did say, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Don't, not pick up your cushy lazy boy recliner but <laughs> your your cross or your iphone or ipad whatever your your cross which was where we get the word excruciating is mm. from of the cross ex crucis or something excruciating yeah. that cruciatus i think yeah yeah so that that does go into so we were saying when when your child is asking you know why did why does guy god allow things like these mass shootings they could be asking is god good and loving they could be asking is god um powerful they might be asking does is god all knowing did he know that this was going to happen yeah and um yeah to which again we can say absolutely but can can we find is there a possible reason why he would allow this to happen and that's where you have to again you have to debate whether or not this the child is in an emotional place where they can just really need comfort versus are they in the question and intellectual kind of objective phase where they're really wanting to say philosophically, is there a reason why God would allow this and he would know about it? Yeah. But I think also underlining that of does God, is God all knowing is does he care a little bit? Is he good? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, and I think of, we had a big discussion, one of our boards um, for Biola about this when we were talking about divine foreknowledge, meaning, you know, what does God know in advance? And like, does that mean that he doesn't feel anything when something happens because he already knew it was going to happen. And I kind of compared it to uh, watching a movie that you've watched before. We'll say something epic like Lord of the Rings. Like, even though I've seen Lord of the Rings and I know exactly what's going to happen, I still feel that, that, oh, you know, when, when Gandalf falls into the pit and mm-hmm. when, when they're waiting for the eagle to come rescue them, I still feel that tension. And so all that, all that um, empathy and all um, is still there, even if I know what's going to happen. And so yeah. trying to say that God is robotic and, you know, because he knows what's going to happen, therefore he doesn't care, um, I, I think is a false dichotomy. Yeah, we're projecting maybe a little bit of what, there are some aspects of God that we won't be able to understand just simply because we're not God. And so we don't want to project mm-hmm. things onto him. Yeah. Um, but finally, the most uh, the the most difficult question I think that the that your child might be asking is, uh, "Am I safe? Is God good? Am I safe?" And well, first of all, you can say He loves us enough that He entered the world and suffered for us. Yeah. He entered our suffering. He's not an aloof God up there just going ha ha ha. You know, He entered it not only to suffer along with us. But suffer for the penalty for our sins. Suffer yeah. death. Because death, we all die because of sin. Yeah, That's the reality. The, the wages of sin are death. Every one of us sin. And so it's not like a specific sin. We could say, well, that baby cried at the wrong time. There they died. No, it's not that. <laughs> it was a sin nature yeah. So um, that we all have inherited and we pass on. But yeah. um, 
no, God entered that. Jesus died for us, yet he was perfect. Mm-hmm. And he did it in such a way to end, to, to redeem us all one day. He conquered death, and we will conquer death with him. And he suffered for our sins so that we could be with him one day. So that's a pretty amazing God yeah. that he would do that. So I think we can trust in that goodness. Yeah. And we can trust in the goodness that's around us. Mm-hmm. If, if God is so much greater than us, and I know the amount of love that I have for my children and my husband mm-hmm. and my friends, if this is just a taste, is that this is just a sin distortion of it, because I know mm-hmm. I'm sinful and fallen, and it is a, there's elements of selfishness in there that I want to overcome, how much greater is God's love if he's the yeah. source? And so I think, you know, you can take all the goodness in this world and magnify it and say that's even greater because yeah. its source is in God. So we can yeah. trust that. Are we safe? Well, no, because the wages of sin are death. Mm-hmm. And so we will die. Yeah. And also, um, one thing that I think is so important to tell our children, when you become a Christian and you are following Christ, you have been marked out by the enemy. Yeah. We are, C.S. Lewis called this enemy-occupied territory. We are in, in, we are in the rebel land we're in a land of rebellion. It's like our troops going into Normandy, right? On the, yeah. uh, you know, and um, we are there and we've been marked out and yeah. he's going to want to do what he did to Job to us. Yep. And God will allow it to a certain st- extent within his, mm-hmm. within his divine knowledge and what he's doing and how, how he knows um, what is the best. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be prepared for that. There's a bit of a um, kind of a balance that we have to have between, you know, when, when I say, are, uh, you know, are, am I safe? The, the immediately the scene that comes to mind is the scene from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe yes. when they're talking about Aslan and they say, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember how they phrased it. They said, um, well, is he safe? Well, heavens no. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a tame <laughs> I think lion. it's Mrs. Otter or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah. No, Mrs., uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Oh, Beaver. Yeah. Not Otters. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they say, well, of course he's not safe. He's not a tame lion, but he is good. But he is good. And so we don't have a guarantee for tomorrow. None of us do. Um, you know, we could get in a car wreck tomorrow. We could, we could, you know, get diagnosed with cancer tomorrow. We have no idea. And this isn't something we necessarily need to play up with kids because we don't want to give them anxiety. But at the same time, they don't need to fear this because you have this, this like I said, this dichotomy between, like you, what you said, will be marked by the enemy, but also greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. And do we want a God that we can tame? <laughs> Knowing our current state, uh-huh. was that would that be a very omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent God or a very good God that we could tame? I think it's kind of like those women who think they want a man they can control and then yeah. they end up resenting him for the rest of their life because they don't like the fact that they well, can... That works into the you know, this sort of theodicy too. If, if God forced himself onto us, you know, we would, we would absolutely, you know, resent him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's why he doesn't force himself on us. Yep. So it's kind of a hard one for when they're asking us if they're safe, because we do want our kids to feel like they're safe, like they don't have to be watching for a a gunman around every single corner. Yeah. And that's where Um, you have to say, okay, specifically, are you worried mm -hmm. that this is going to happen to you when we mm-hmm. are at the state fair or something. And you, then yeah. you need to talk about the statistics and the reality. And and then you can also say, you know, even if something does happen, you know, we can have confidence in God. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it will be tough, but we can get through it. And, yeah. um, you know, sort of teach them to kind of prepare them in a, in a good way. And I think we have to do this more today than people used to have to do. Children saw death. They had friends dying, mm-hmm. like constantly. Now, when I was um, age, I think I was seven, I had a little friend of mine at church that died in a car accident, mm. and that like rocked my world. And then a yeah. few years later, I had another little friend that came came down with meningitis and died. She was going to mm. be my my um, my roommate at junior camp for church. Aww. And yeah, Amy Yost. Yeah. And I just, I still think of her and I, I, I think of my other friend and, and so I was exposed to it mm-hmm. and it's very unusual. And then I had another boy that was in um, my junior high class that got hit by a car. Oh, wow. So it's like, wow, you've had, a, you had a lot. Yeah, I guess I do. Now that I think about it, comparison to our girls, they haven't really had anything. They've had, 
you know, we've had some older people pass away, but no mm-hmm. young people. Um, so yeah. it's, it's just more rare these days. So they really aren't as prepared for it. So we need to do it in a healthy way. That's what the fairy tales used to do, right? <laughs> I mean, you read the fairy tales. are dark. They can be dark, but it tells the reality of darkness in this world. And I think mm-hmm. that we, our current world has a real hard time reconciling evil and yeah. sin. We want to deny sin and... We've become too sheltered. Yeah, and but then in some ways we scream and rail about evil like out, way out of proportion. Yeah. We're shocked because we're shocked by it. Like mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can't believe that happened. Well, mm-hmm. you know, in reality it's like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. Not that we're jaded. Yeah. Well, that's, like, we're kind of at the end of our time. So I'm just going to... Um, kind of give a summary real quick of what we talked about uh, that if your children are coming and talking to you about uh, why why does God allow mass shootings um, first off to affirm their heart and the fact that they're experiencing empathy and telling them how proud you are of them for just being like Jesus and caring about people um, talking to them about how the shooting has made them feel kind of they may need a process and finding out what other questions are underneath the surface um, and then understanding that this is a variety of, of the problem of evil the general problem of evil of why does God allow evil has lots of answers and lots of good answers, but mm-hmm. why did God allow this evil? We're never going to know until we're in eternity and God can answer that question. So we need to be careful about trying to answer one with the other. And then finally, when your child is asking, you know, why, why did this shooting happen? Why did God allow it? They're, they could be really asking one of four questions. Um, is God really all loving? To which we answered that um, love requires free will. Is God really all powerful? To mm-hmm. which, yes, you know, He is all powerful and He is able to stop it. But we, um, He 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 allows us to experience suffering in this world because we, He needs us to know this is what sin does, and that's knowledge that we'll need for the next world. Uh, third, they ask, um, Is God really all knowing? Did He know that this was going to happen? And then finally, um, Could something like this happen to me? Am I safe? So those were our. our kind of summary points and um can i read the the thing that we 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 told my daughter yeah real quick so she said you know why did god make us if he knew we were going to sin and so we said and we told her you know that's a tough one but in the least probably for the same reason we had you even though we knew you were going to be hurt and hurt others in this world because we wanted to share our love with you somehow we knew that love is so much greater than sin and pain even though it's easy easy to forget that sometimes Yes, the same reason we had you, at least, but probably more, I'm certain, because he is love and goodness himself. Think of how much more he can give you of these than we can. He is much wiser than we are, too, being able to see the entire picture so we can trust him. His love, goodness, and wisdom. Most importantly, his love is so great that he was willing to endure our mess, even suffer for our mess, so that we can end it one, so that he can end it one day for us. And that's more than we could ever do for me, for you, and yet we still had you. So these things, at least, but probably so much more beyond our compre- comprehension. Good answers. Love it. <laughs> so, it's something um, we all struggle with, and we yeah. will. It's just part of, part of life. And I just want to add that we have a gospel that is good news, but it is clothed in pain and suffering. Yeah. And so yeah. we can um, affirm people in the hatred that they have of evil and the sorrow they and grief they have at pain, with pain and sorrow mm-hmm. um, and suffering. And we can give them hope versus when someone rejects God because of pain and suffering, they actually, in essence, also reject good and evil. Yeah. And they don't, they say that these are just products of natural selection working over time. You know, they're yeah. just evolutionary, you know, survival products, yeah. mechanisms. And really that, that actually does not affirm the incredible pain and suffering we feel. It makes it, makes it less objective to us. Make, makes it meaningless and meaningless. illusory. Illusory. It, it is a useful fiction for survival and mm-hmm. it's not. We know when we are in pain that it is real. Yeah. And so God, our gospel affirms the realness of it and says, yes, it is real and it's wrong. <laughs> and, so, and, and I, I went through it for you too as yeah. God. And so it, it answers both of them. I mean, you think of Buddhism, you think of other things. They try to um, 
just, you know, teach you to um, rise above the pain and ignore mm. it. This is like, no, you get right down into it. It's awful and it's not supposed to be this way. And that's yeah. what we feel when we suffer. It's not supposed to be this way. So all the people that have someone, loved ones that have been lost in Vegas, yes, their grief is very real and it's wrong. Yeah. And the best thing to do is just go and weep with them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just go ahead and pray for maybe the victims' families um, from this most recent shooting yes. and, and for tonight. Father God, we thank you that you are not a God who is far away from us in our suffering, Lord. You are a God who has walked through every single kind of suffering and you say, come, come join me. I'll, I'll do it first so that you're not scared. I'll do it first so you don't think that I'm asking you to do something that I would never be willing to do. You were always willing to join us in our suffering because you say, I walked through it first. Mm. Um, you are not far away. You are not uncompassionate. You are not oblivious to what we are going through. Uh, you purposely chose to put yourself through everything and more that, that we are going through. Father God, we know that you can use the most horrific evils to accomplish good purposes, Lord. Mm. And I've seen you do it in my life. I've seen you do it in other people's lives. And because I've seen you do it so many times, Lord, I have faith based on good reasons, Lord, that you can do it with this situation mm. too. We pray that you would provide good comforters uh, to the families in Las Vegas, not the kind of comforters that are going to want to explain everything or yes. or say mm -hmm. why, you know, oh, God was judging Las Vegas or some, just something stupid, Lord. I just pray that you would shut the mouths of the comforters and open the arms. <laughs> yes. Close mouths, open arms, Lord Jesus, and that we would all do our part to, um, to I don't know, be, be your goodness here on this earth, Lord, so that hmm. people can see your goodness even when they are railing against the evil that they see other people commit, Lord, that they can say, that is not God, that is humans. That is what humans do, and that is what sin does. That is not what a holy God does. Yeah. And I pray that we would learn the lessons of this earth so that we can all be with you. And from these lessons learned, Lord, that we can live with you for eternity uh, without sin and without having to endure this suffering. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together. Thank <laughs> you.